Well, good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, if you are new, um, or maybe this is your second or third time back to the church, I, I want to start by welcoming you. Thank you for joining us this morning. We've been in a series called Live Like This, and it's the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ himself there on the mount. And so we are in chapter 7 today. I'd love for you to get ready. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7. Turn in your apps to Matthew 7. Or you could open up the Baywatch, which is the program you received. And all the passages for today are there. Uh, I want to start off and I want to share with you. Um, I have three kids. And my youngest, her name is Aranea. And uh, she just actually turned two last month. And so... I don't know if you've ever had a two-year-old, but this is a time where they start really developing and growing in, in crazy ways. And uh, my daughter is cool. She's starting to use words. Uh, she's able to communicate in ways she wasn't able before. And so it's, it's really cool to see that development. And one of the things that I love right now in this stage is uh, I'll be in our house somewhere. I'll be in my room or in our office, and she'll, she'll, she'll go like this. She'll go, Daddy! Where are you? And I'll, from wherever I am in the house, I'll, I'll say, I'm here. And then I hear her pat her down the hall. Daddy, where are you? I'm here. And then she'll, she'll, she'll track my voice and she'll find out where I am. And then when she comes and finds me, this big smile, she'll go, Daddy. And she'll come and she'll run and hug me. I, I just love that. And then there's times when, like, for example, this happens quite often. I'll come home from, like, a surf session, and I'll be in the shower. And she'll call out, Daddy, why are you? And obviously, I'm in the shower, so I don't respond to her because sometimes I don't even hear her. And so after she asks, but she doesn't hear from me, she'll start seeking me out. And she'll go to the usual spots. She'll start looking for me. And if she gets to our room and she doesn't see me, then she sees the bathroom door closed, she hears the shower running, she'll come up to the door and she'll go, Daddy, where are you? Daddy, where are you? And from the shower, I'm in the shower and I can see from the reflection in the mirror, I see the door handle slowly go, and it pops open. And there's her face. She's just standing there. She's, Daddy! And she'll come and plaster her face up against the shower glass door. I, I love, I love that. I love, I love that picture of my child looking for her father. And when she asks, and yet doesn't hear back from me, then she'll go and seek. And when she seeks and she still doesn't see me, she'll then knock. And today in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, we are the children of God. We have a good father. And he teaches us how we can approach our father. He says, you just ask. Ask, seek, knock. You just ask. I want to show you what he teaches us about prayer. So would you guys join me? Let's do that. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to lead us into this teaching. Father God, we thank you so much that you give us these gifts and these blessings, and sometimes we take them for granted. Lord, you've given us prayer, uh, just this amazing ability to talk to the God of this universe, the God of all creation, who is our Father. And I pray that um, we would be able to come and hear the words of Jesus this morning, Lord, that you would teach us how to pray. And I know people who are going through battles right now and are in a time of need. This is, uh, you know, I pray it resonates with them. 
And yet I also pray for those who aren't really in that battle right now and who are, who are seemingly good, that this too would resonate. Lord, would you allow your word to be alive and active um, as, we, as we look into it, as it uh, gets planted in our hearts, God? Would you uh, stir in us, open our eyes to see, teach us how to pray? And we ask this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen, amen. I want to ask you to just do a quick exercise with me before we really get into the message. But uh, would you just think about what are the needs that you have right now in your life? Some of you guys already know what those needs are because you've been praying about it. And then some of us, we just haven't really thought about what do I really need. And some of them are going to be minor. Some of them are going to be major. Like maybe you just need to get over this cold you've been battling right now. Or maybe you need God to deliver you from depression. Maybe, maybe you, you're looking for these keys that you haven't been able to find for the past couple days, or maybe you're looking for that lifelong spouse. Maybe you need guidance for a conversation that's coming up this week that you know it's coming, or maybe you need your friend, your lifelong friend, to find salvation and find Jesus. Right, so whatever that need is, keep that in mind as we talk about prayer, because Jesus will say this in verse 7 of chapter 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, or everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And so Jesus starts right there. First of all, he says, ask, and it will be given. So would you guys write that down if you're taking notes? Ask, and it will be given. And this, you guys know, I think we would agree that this is the most basic understanding of prayer, to simply just ask, to bring our request before our, our Father in heaven. You know, during my uh, sabbatical, I was in the garage, and I was actually hanging out with my youngest daughter, Aranea. We were in the garage, I was doing some stuff, and all of a sudden, the garage door was open, and these two birds fly into our garage. And they were cute, small little birds. They weren't like pigeons, just little birds. And they're flying in circles around in, in our garage. And so we were like fascinated by this. And we're just watching them fly. And that fascination soon turned, turned to concern. Because I'm realizing I don't think these birds know how to fly out. They don't know how to get back out, even though they flew in through the garage door. So I take my broom, and I'm trying to swat them to help them. I'm trying to shoo them out through the garage door, and they just would not do it. They would not go back out. And so I open the side door, and for, for quite a while, I'm trying to help them, and they wouldn't go out. About an hour goes by, and, and one of the two birds finds the side door, and he flies out. The other one, I, for the life of me, I couldn't get him out. And all of a sudden, he perches up on the shelf in my garage. The other bird who flew out, I think he came back because now there's a couple birds right outside of the door chirping at him. And then the bird in the garage starts chirping back, and now they're chirping at each other, right? Tweeting each other, right? Hashtag stuck. Hashtag FOMO. I want to be where you are. And they're just going back. And I'm like, like what are we going to do? Well, the evening goes on. Like after dinner, late into the night, I keep on checking, and he's still there. He's just sitting there. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, like, I don't want this bird to die in my garage. Like, I don't want to clean up a dead bird, right? And so, so finally, at the last minute, I have to go to bed now, right? And so what do I do? Do I close the doors, and he dies in our garage? So I took a risk. I closed the garage door. I kept the side door open all night long. 
and I locked my house doors, you know, risking burglar, a burglar coming into our garage. But I was like, I don't want this bird to die. So I left the side door open, went to sleep. The next morning, first thing I do, I go to the garage to see if the bird flew out. I go to the garage, and he's still sitting there on the, on the shelf. He's perched up there, and, and I take my broom, and I try one more time to shoo him out, and this time it's like he's lost all his strength because he lets me hit him, and he just goes, and he just like hops over like he couldn't even fly, and I'm thinking, oh, he's weak, and he's about to die, and it was at that morning, at that point the next morning where I finally decided I'm going to pray, right, and, and I use scripture on God. I use scripture. I said, Matthew 6, God. You said that you care about the birds of the air. You'll provide for them. And so, God, don't let this bird die. If you care about them, don't let them die. And I promise you, I kid you not, as I'm praying that, as I'm praying that, that bird gets up and flies out the door. Like in that moment, and it was like a kid first finding Christ. Like I was a kid in the faith. I ran to the room where Monica was still in bed. I said, Monica, I just prayed and God answered. Like I just had to pray and he answered. It was like, duh, right? Like, I was thinking, God, why didn't you just release them yesterday? And it was like during my sabbatical, God was just saying, I am a God who cares about the birds of the air. I am able to provide a way out. Just ask. Just ask. James chapter 4, verse 2, he tells us this. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. You have not because you ask not. And it's so simple. Jesus starts right here. It's such a simple practice, yet sometimes it's so hard to practice. We simply fail or forget to ask. So when you can't find that lost item, do you ever stop to ask God to help you find it? When, when you're about to play ball, do you ask God to watch over your mind and your heart and your mouth and your physical actions? When you begin a homework assignment, you begin a work project, do you ask God to give you success and discernment? When you're about to have a conversation, you're eating over a, a, a lunch and your friend asks for advice, do you stop and ask God for some wisdom from heaven it's such a simple discipline but so challenging sometimes for us to practice i mean we pray for the big things things that we're forced to ask for but the small things and i want to bet every single day opportunity after opportunity passes us by opportunities where we can invite god in where we can experience his presence where we could go deeper in our trust where we can see the power of god at work we let these opportunities pass by simply because we don't ask and invite God in. So Jesus starts there. Now, here's the question. If we ask and we ask in faith, will it really be given? Jesus says asking will be given. Will it really be given? The answer is yes. Look at verse 9 in this passage. He goes on to tell this parable. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, 
Like, I, I get that, Jesus. That, that makes sense to me. Like, as a dad, I get that. I'm not going to give my son something deceptively bad if he's asking for something good. Like, if he asks for apple juice, I'm not giving him beer. I, I get that, Jesus. This is good, right? Even if he asks for something bad, even if he asks for beer, I'm not going to give him beer. Why? Because as a parent... I'm not going to give him what I perceive is going to be dangerous or detrimental to him. Like any good parent will want to give what is beneficial or good for their children. And so this is, this is a great parable, Jesus. Just ask, and our Father in heaven who is good will give good. Now, that sounds very simple, but think about this with me for a second, okay? Why didn't... Jesus put this in the positive. Why does he tell this parable the way he does? Like, I suppose he could have said, if your son asked for a fish, you'd give him a fish, wouldn't you? Or if he asked for bread, you'll give him bread, won't you? And therefore, the, the, the moral of the parable is that because our God is such a good father, he will give his children whatever they ask for. That's how good he is. He could have taught that, but he didn't say that. He didn't teach the parable that way. He says, if you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a snake or vice versa. In other words, maybe Jesus is anticipating this confusion, right? The, the, the questions that we might have when we ask for something and we receive something that we didn't ask for. He says, ask, it will be given. But what we ask for, we might be given something that I didn't expect. And Jesus is anticipating that. And so what he's saying is, whatever he gives you, because he will give unto you, trust that it is good. Right? Because isn't it true that sometimes you're going to ask for a fish because, God, I'm hungry. I need a fish. And, yeah, sometimes he'll give you a fish. But sometimes you'll ask for a fish and he's going to give you lobster. Sometimes you're going to ask for a fish, and he's going to give you filet mignon. And it's not what you had asked for exactly, but he has, he's saying, trust me, he is good. And whatever he gives you, whether it's what you ask for or something different, it is good. He is a good and perfect father. In fact, it might even be better. Otherwise, he would have just given you what you've asked for. And if he gives you something different, you have to trust that it's not a snake. And it's not a stone. He is for you and not against you. And so the parable is if we as parents who are imperfect and sinful can give, can give good gifts, how much more will our Heavenly Father who is perfect and sinless give that which is perfectly good? So that's what Jesus teaches us. Don't be afraid to ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Ask and you will receive. Now, I could hear the thoughts in some of your minds and some of the feelings going on in your hearts, and let me say it out loud for you. So what if I ask not to lose my job and I just got laid off? How's that good? What if I prayed and asked that we would have a safe trip to Mammoth and we got into a car accident? How was that good? What if I asked that my parents wouldn't get a divorce, God, and they got a divorce last year? How is that good? 
And so sometimes we will ask and we'll receive something different and we get that, but what if there's no good to be found in it at all? What do we do? How do we make sense of that? Jesus says, seek and you will find. Would you guys write this down? Seek and you will find. Well, seek what? Well, seek his will. Seek his will above ours. Seek his understanding above ours. And if you ask God and you receive something totally different from what you've asked for and you don't get it, then seek and ask, God, why did you give me this? Why did you answer this way? Where is your will in all of this? Seek and you will find. Um, I, I shared this story with you guys before. I shared it with you last year. But um, I was invited to uh, share at a gospel night on a college campus. And, and I share this again today because it's had such profound impact on me years later, even till this day. But I, I share with you, I was invited to this uh, gospel night, and I was told that there was going to be a lot of non-Christian friends and students who are going to fill this lecture hall. So uh, would you come and preach the gospel? And I said, Absolutely. And so I poured my heart into this preparation. I, 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 I tried to be as faithful to the scriptures as I could, and I prayed. I really, I bathed that thing in prayer. And one of the prayers I prayed was, God, would, would you just give me a number of souls that evening? May a number of souls be saved. And so that night I went, and uh, I shared with you that, uh, you know, my preaching isn't always good or on point. Uh, but that night, I was killing it, right? I was crushing that thing. Like, it was so, like, perfect as I planned in my mind. My stories were on point. My points were on point. My, people were engaged. I could tell from people's expressions. They were, they were engaged and they were listening. And I felt that God was with me. There were moments when I'm like, for sure God is here. The Spirit of God is working. People are nodding. And at the end of the message, like, I gave an altar call. I said, okay, if anybody wants to give their lives to Christ and you want to follow Jesus, you want to experience forgiveness of your sins, I'm going to ask you, on the count of three, raise your hands. I go, okay, ready? One, two, three. Anybody want to raise their hands and follow Jesus? And I just waited. And I waited. And eventually, like, one hand goes up. And I don't even know if that was, like, a pity hand, like he felt bad for me. But one hand, and I walked away from that evening just really confused. God, did you hear my prayers? I prayed that a number of souls would be saved. He answered. The number was one. <laughs> Not the number I had imagined, but that was his will, and his will be done. And so when I thought about that night, and I really had to talk to God about it and try to make sense of it all. Here's what I learned, and this has impacted me, again, I said, till this day. Here's what he taught me about his heart and his character. God is God, and he is sovereign, and he will do what he will do. According to his will, he will do what he pleases. And what he taught me that night is, Greg, you don't save souls. I save souls. And you need to just be faithful. And so what I learned is I don't determine fruitfulness my job is faithfulness. I just need to be faithful. He will determine how fruitful it is. He determines the fruitfulness of my faithfulness, and I carry that with me. Every time I go into ministry, every time I serve, every time I preach, I become satisfied with whatever results he produces because that's his job. 
And I share that with you because over time, as we engage in a regular habit of prayer, we will begin to learn the heart of God and the character of God and the will of God just by seeing how he responds to us. We, we begin to see that God is sovereign. He will do what he's going to do. He's going to accomplish what he has uh, uh, determined to accomplish. And so prayer is not just about getting what you want. It's about wanting what you get. I'll say that again. Prayer is not always about getting what we want, but wanting what we get. In other words, God is going to do what he sovereignly determines to do, but as we pray, we learn to not just be okay or satisfied with what he does. We learn to be delighted in the things he does, and we learn to be well-pleased with what he does, and our prayers start to change over time more in line with the will of God. And you'll see over time, as you practice prayer, your, your prayers start to change. Like, it's not uncommon as young believers for our prayers to be mostly self-centered and self-glorifying. When I uh, was 14 years old, I was uh, graduating from middle school, and I was about to go into high school. I was supposed to go to Torrance High. That's where all my friends from school were going, but my parents wanted me to go to West High. And West High was going to be a place where I knew nobody. And to me, that was a good thing. Why? Because now it's like I could recreate myself. I could be a brand new person. I'm, I, I won't be the dork I was in middle school. And so I went into West High, true story. I can't believe I'm sharing this, but I prayed this prayer. And I said, God, nobody knows me here. So please help all the girls to like me. And I, that honest prayer, like honest prayer. Honestly, lame prayer. Like, do you think God answered that? No, right? Like, like, no. Like, no, he didn't answer it. Later on in my life, there was a time when there was a coworker of mine that I was really upset with. Had a lot of animosity in my heart toward her. And I had to confront this person. And I had points to make. I had a defense, I, I had a defense uh, for my actions and I was just upset, and yet I prayed, God, I need to confront this person, but give me humility when I enter into that conversation. Help me to just go in with a Christ-like attitude, and I went into that conversation, and I didn't once try to make a point, didn't once try to defend myself. I simply said, would you forgive me for what I've done? That's it, and there was reconciliation, and I walked out of there with a new relationship. It was amazing. God answered my prayer. I asked for a humble heart. He, he gave it to me in that instance. And so over time, w the more we pray, we're going to see the things that God says no to. We're going to see the things that God says yes to. And we learn more and more the heart of God, the character of God, what is dear to the heart of God. You could tell, like, come to my house and just hang out at our house. You could tell over time what kind of dad I am, right? By the way I answer my kids or respond to my kids, you could tell if I'm a disciplinarian dad or a lenient dad. You could tell if I'm a mean dad or a nice dad. You could tell if I'm a health-conscious dad by how I answer my kids or a junk food-loving dad. You could tell if, if, if I'm a compassionate dad or if I'm a narcissistic dad. You'll be able to tell by the way I respond to my kids. 
And in the same way, we're going to learn what kind of God is. And I bet you, in this ongoing relationship with, through prayer, we begin to see that he is a good God. And he responds according to his good and perfect will. And whatever he gives us, it is always for our good and his glory. For our faith and for his namesake. You're going to see that take place through the answers. So seek. Whatever he chooses to give you, whatever you receive whenever you, whenever you ask, seek his will. Seek to understand. And you'll see that prayer is not just about getting what we want, but wanting what we get and becoming well-pleased with what he does, delighted in his answers, delighted in the fact that his ways are always higher than our ways. His thoughts are always higher than our thoughts. His will is way above our will. So seek and you will find. So the last question is, what if I'm asking and what if I'm seeking but I'm still not understanding. I still don't see it. Well, then, knock, and the door will be open. Would you guys write that down for the last point for today? Just knock, and the door will be open. Every time Jesus talks about knocking, it's often associated with persistent prayer, bold, persistent prayer, right? In Luke chapter 11, he tells this parable of a friend who goes to his friend in the middle of the night and starts knocking. And the moral of that parable was, be persistent, don't stop, and, and the door will be open. And some people will say, Christians will say, you don't have to keep on praying as if you don't trust God. Some people will say, you don't have to keep on praying because God will do what he's going to do. He knows your prayer even before you ask it, so you don't have to keep on praying. You don't have to keep on praying because you don't need to nag God as if he can't hear you. You don't need to nag God as if you can persuade him through your prayers. That just lacks faith. And I want to argue the opposite. No, persistent prayer doesn't lack faith. Persistent prayer proves faith. Persistent prayer strengthens your faith. I just said earlier that prayer is not just about getting what we want, but wanting what we get. I'll also say this. I'll add this. Prayer isn't about getting what we want. It's about getting what we need. Namely, a deeper relationship with the Father. That's what we really need. That's what our souls innately crave. A, a deeper relationship with the Father and God has given us this means, this gift of communication through prayer. And you guys know that in any relationship, the more communication we have, the better communication we have, the more intimate the relationship. Amen? The more intimate that relationship. And I, got, I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. And I pick up, and it was a voice I didn't recognize. And he says, this is Greg. I said, yeah, this is Greg. He says, Greg, it's me, Jonathan. Jonathan so-and-so from Madrona Middle School. I said, Jonathan, he was my seat partner, and he was one of my good friends in middle school. I said, dude, I haven't talked to you since middle school. How'd you find me? He says, yeah, I had to make some calls, and I finally got your number. And he's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I can't believe we're talking right now. And so we had this brief conversation, and then not too long into it, he says, yeah, well, you know what, I, I, I just, I was thinking about you, and I just... I want to present to you a business opportunity. I was wondering if you want to come and hear this presentation. And I thought, ah, oh, this guy wants me to join his pyramid scheme, right? 
And it turns out it was a pyramid scheme. That very company that he was trying to pitch to me shut down for being a pyramid scheme. And I was thinking, he, he, he got a hold of me after all these years, ultimately because he wanted my money. How many of you guys love those people in your life, those relationships where people only come to you or only talk to you when they need something from you, right? Absolutely no one ever. We, none of us like those kind of relationships. Those aren't even relationships to us. And yet how is it when we come to God every once in a while when we have a need? But not just that, not, not only do we only come to him when we have a need, but it's like we drop off this request and we, we expect him just to answer right away. But here's the thing, if we make this quick telephone call to God, here's this need I have, and let's say, being a good father, he just answers it right away. What happens? We no longer need him. We no longer return to him. We never spend time in his presence. We never sit at his feet. We no longer long for him or, or, or be desperate for him. We never cling to him. It's just like, God, you're going to take care of this, right? Cool, peace, and you're out. Where's the relationship in that? There's no relationship in that. And so I wonder, why is it that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers right away? And I don't think it's because God is a cruel God that he should hold out on us just to make us desperate and want him. But I think it's because he's a good father. And I think he realizes that there is joy and there is blessing in an ongoing engagement between two. There's joy and there's blessing when we continually come face to face, even when it involves struggle. When I was growing up, um, I was so into martial arts. And if you know my family, my brother is really into it right till this day. And it was a lot because of the fact that my dad grew up loving martial arts. He kind of like uh, influenced us. And so like I was like in elementary school, I was like eight or nine years old. And I I actually created my own martial arts. Uh, It was called Taxing Do. Does anybody know what Taxing Do means? In Chinese, it means absolutely nothing, right? Like, it just <laughs> sounded cool, and I made up all these moves, and I loved it. Like, every weekend, I would ask my, my mom and my dad to take me to, like, karate dojos or kung fu studios just so I could sit and watch people practice. Um, I would talk with my dad about Bruce Lee, and he would tell me stories about Bruce Lee and, and what, what it was like when my dad himself was taking lessons growing up. We would watch movies together. We would watch these kung fu movies together. And that was all cool that, that my dad kind of, you know, shared this stuff with us and, and with me. But do you know what my most memorable moments were in regards to kung fu? It's those times when my dad and I would fight. And we would, like, we would go back and forth. And always, my dad always pretended to be, like, this tai chi master, like, this, this old, like, he'd have these movies. And I'd, I'd go with my taxing though, and I'd just go in at him, and, and he, would just, he would just wrestle with me, and we'd go back and forth, back and forth, and then we'd go to the ground, and we'd tussle on the ground, and we would just wrestle. And then I'd be like, Dad, let's, let's do it again, let's do it again. And the more time we spent, that was meaningful time as we engaged. Now, it wouldn't be as meaningful if I went up to my dad and he just let me punch him and he goes, oh, tap, I'm out, you win, son. Like, that wouldn't be fun for me. Or if he actually came with his full force and he knocks me in the stomach and knocks the wind out of me and debilitates me for the night, that would not be fun. But what was meaningful to me was that unwillingness to 
end the match right away. It was that willingness to stay in that fight with me and wrestle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until my chubby cheeks turned red and my hair was full of sweat. That was fun. Now, let me ask you a question. If God and man were to get in a fight, who would win? Hands down, the God Almighty, all-powerful God would destroy that man. I would not want to be that man. On second thought, maybe I would love to be that man. Right, because I think about Genesis 32. And here's this guy named Jacob, and he's at the lowest point in his life. Like he's scared. He's full of fear and anxiety because he hears that Esau and his 400 men are coming for him and his family. And he scarcely sends his wife and his children ahead of him and all their stuff. And he stays there. He's down by this ravine. And, and I would guess he's, he has insomnia. He can't go to sleep. And he's there by himself. And all of a sudden this man shows up. This man in the flesh shows up. And for some reason they start going at it. Like a fight breaks out, and they start wrestling. And he must be thinking, who is this guy? Why is he jumping me? And like they're going back and forth, and they're wrestling back and forth, and it li literally goes into the night. Like this match doesn't end. And at some point, as he's wrestling this guy, and they're face to face, he realizes, oh, my God. Like this is my God in the flesh. The, the, theologians call it a theophany, a rare appearance of God in the flesh in the Old Testament. And he realizes this is my God that I'm wrestling with. And as the fight goes into the early morning, here's what God says to him. Genesis 32, 26. He says to him, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. Then the man said, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. And then in verse 29, what does God do to him? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I just wrestled with God, and I should have died, but my life was spared. By the way, do you know why after that long wrestling match, that long struggle, God renames Jacob to Israel? It's because God was like, man, Jacob, the struggle is real. Israel. Israel, Israel, <laughs> okay, dad jokes, all right, no, that's not why, but listen, Jacob goes into that fight full of fear, full of anxiety, scared for his life, how does he exit that fight? Well, if you read on to the next chapter, full of confidence, full of blessing, full of love, and he approaches Esau in love. It's amazing, the new man he became but it was after he received the blessing because he refused to let go of God. He refused to end the fight until God blessed him. There is something about wrestling with God in prayer and not giving up that brings blessing, 
beyond our imagination. And perhaps it's in that persistent struggle, that wrestling in prayer, that insistence on clinging to God, that, that unwillingness to let go until, God, you answer me and show me, show me your goodness, that God sees the evidence of your faith and the proof of your heart. Something about that pleases God. And so I, I, I encourage you, church, that as you persistently engage, you will see your relationship develop. And so until your friend receives Christ, until your son returns home, until your husband fully surrenders to God, don't stop praying. Until escrow closes, until you get those keys, until you get that job position, until that deal closes, don't stop praying. Until, until you get over that cold, until cancer is healed, until the depression is gone, do not stop praying. Church, will you knock at the doors of heaven until they open up? Will you keep wrestling with God in prayer until blessings come pouring out upon you? Because I promise you, when that door opens, there is going to be a blessing that you did not expect. A blessing that you did not expect. Because when you look back on the struggle and, and the wrestling that you did with God, you will see that there was blessing in the battle. You're going to see the blessing is actually a deeper relationship with the Father. That's what came out of this. And you'll find that you may be more satisfied with that than it is with whatever you were asking for. I've come out of this and I know my God that much more. I struggled and I wrestled and I saw his goodness. That's the will of God. That is the will of God. And so Jesus teaches us, you have a good father. Just ask. Ask, seek, and knock. And I love that Jesus taught us this, not just by talking that talk there on the mount, but by walking the walk there in the valley. Right? Because come back with me to Gethsemane. You guys remember the garden? And there they are. And Jesus himself is in that lowest moment in his earthly life. Like he is actually distressed. Can you imagine the God of this universe distressed? And his soul is full of sorrow as he knows he's about to die. He's about to get murdered on the cross. And so there he is in the, in, in the garden, and he cries out to God. Matthew, Mark chapter 14, verse 34, he says this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. God, I don't want to die. Like, I can't handle this. And so what does he do? Well, he walks the walk. And he asks. And in verse 36, he cries out to his God. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. In other words, God, I don't want to die. Father, take this cup. Take this punishment away from me. Please spare my life. And he asks the Father. And doesn't stop there. What does he do next? He seeks. Because the very next line, what does he say? Yet not what I will but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. I seek your will. 
And then what does he do? He knocks. God, God, please take this cup away from me. And in verse 39, it says, and again, he went away and prayed, saying what? The same words. God, take this cup away from me. Please take this cup away from me. Take this cup away from me. And he keeps on persistently saying the same things. And what does God do? God answers. God answers, but in a way that no man expected or not even desired. Jesus wanted his life to be spared. God didn't spare his life. He gave up his life only to give him the glorified, resurrected life, a life that came with victory over death, victory over darkness, not just for the Son of God, but for the entire world, for all who would believe. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the will of the Father, the ultimate blessing. And so we can come before him and trust that if we ask, it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors will be opened to you. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? And God, we just thank you again that you give us this amazing privilege to talk and pray to you. We, we often today, I know on staff, we thank you for technology that we can FaceTime people and have conference calls over our phones. That's amazing. But God, how amazing that we get to talk to the God of this universe who sits above it all. And in an instant, you hear us you're able to communicate with us, God. And so, Lord, we just pray that you help us to to grow as uh, children of God who continually mature, who continually engage with our dad there in heaven, and, and we would learn more your heart and your will and your character. And God, I pray for those right now who are battling and wrestling with you, who have needs, God. God, would you hear them? Remind them in this moment that you're not just sitting back. You're you're answering. And I pray that they would seek your will and see you and whatever it is you give them, Lord. And for those of us who are not in that battle right now, I pray that you would tuck this word deep into our hearts so that in the opportune moment, maybe this week, we would remember the teachings of Jesus, that we could always just come and ask. And I pray that daily, we would take hold of those opportunities to invite you in and not let these opportunities go by to see you at work. And so, Lord, we turn our eyes toward heaven. We turn our hearts toward you. We worship you and pray in Jesus' name.